What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review, uh, sitting with John Niatawa from the Omaha World Herald. After um, Seton Hall beats Creighton 81-75 at the CHI Health Center, uh, another demoralizing would be a one way to put it loss for the Jays. Um, kind of the same story as we keep as we keep telling you guys over and over again with the you know they fight, they scratch, they claw, they overcome something in terms of whether it's a shooting slump or an injury or whatever force that's working against them to build a lead late. Um, only to then lose it in the final stretch of the game, whatever that time frame may be, however you want to quantify it. Um, just kind of a season of those that are culminating now, and now it's four in a row that have been like that, though, for Creighton. And uh, this one, like, this one felt a little bit different, John. This one felt like more of a... If they break because of this, I wouldn't be surprised. Even though I have faith in the resolve of who they are, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the one that just, like, is the is the tip of, like, is just, that's, what else can we do, you know? I don't know, I'd be surprised by that. Just What'd because, really? yeah, because, I mean, maybe you can make an argument that they already have, sort of. Whether they know it or not, they've already... That, that break has already happened. Like, they're still going to compete, but they didn't. They don't realize it, but mentally they're just not in the right space. They just didn't look right in the last... You know, they yeah. came out of these huddles in the last four minutes. They still had a lead, and they had still strung stops together. So I was like, in my mind, that's something that you should feel good about if you're in that situation. And it didn't look like they felt good about that. It looked like they were waiting for the inevitable, which was what has gone the last three right. games and there are you know other examples throughout the season in losses like this I guess what I was that's, thinking that's kind of what my, my yeah. observation was they didn't look like they didn't look like they looked like they looked fine for the first 35 or 36 minutes but they didn't look like they had much belief in their ability to close the show to right. me right which I don't know if I they had much belief at Xavier either though that's what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I wasn't. Able, we weren't able to see. We won't ever see them person. that up close. Right. You know, like up close, I can definitely see it. Yeah. I got like a sense of. I think. How did you put it in the post game presser? Um, nervous energy. Is yeah. That what you felt. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a good way to put it, right? If you. Right. If you but I guess like, what I'm what I'm thinking is like I don't think that this team is going to quit on the season. I think the players are going to work hard when they return to practice and they're going to try to compete in games. But I do think that whatever. Um, is mentally standing in their way from performing at their best down the stretch, like that is going to be there for is that, the rest of the year, I think. I think that's a good... Unless they find a way to break through. I right, mean, right. Otherwise, I think they're just going to... You know what I think we should, we should make this podcast about here? Because we've talked about these games a lot. So instead of trying to like analyze this game as an isolated incident, because it's not, I don't think... I think we've seen this story before. Maybe we should talk about what is the mental block and how they can, if they do, how they can overcome it. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what do you think? Is that a good, maybe it's just a good, different way we can talk about this game tonight? Because I feel like, otherwise I feel like we can just talk about the same things with different player names and stuff like that <laughs> that we've seen right. before, you know what I mean?
Um, and the, but, well, but to I, your but to your but to your point, but I, they haven't shown that quit, if you will, that just like we've had enough. It's we we like they haven't broken yet because they keep coming to practice and they keep playing hard, and the energy level is there, and they are really competitive people. It looks like they, you know, prepare themselves well, and they play with an edge for most of the game. Just something happens late that they just can't. There's a different level that they have to go to that they can't get past something. And it's really hard to describe because it's like we're talking about an invisible force that changes that affects the outcome of games that they can't like almost like something that can they even control it if it happens and things like that like shots going in and out or you know a play here a play there you know I just wonder what you think about how much of it is stuff they can control versus just I don't know yeah I mean it it was evident today more than the other three and that might just be because I was here today and saw it in person but Seton Hall's demeanor in the final four minutes was no different than its demeanor with 12 minutes left in the game or eight minutes into the game in the first half. Like, the Pirates felt like they... Actually, you know what? They may have even ratcheted up their intensity level even more at the end, but for the most part, they looked like... You know, I just think of Miles Powell, that jumper he hit to win the game, the go-ahead shot. I mean, he might he could have been taking that shot in warm-up. That might as well have been warm-ups for him. You know, he, he's so comfortable with the ball in his hands. Um, he told us after the game that he, when he had the ball in his hands with like a minute left, he looked over at the bench and saw Kevin Willard, and, and Willard, Willard just gave him a head nod. It's like, do your thing. And Miles Bowles like, okay. You know, it's it, there's just this comfort level that a lot of Creighton's opponents seem to have late mm-hmm. that Creighton doesn't have, where, if, where it seems like Creighton is... is and maybe this is rooted in the fact that the Jays don't have a go-to guy, but it does seem like when they have been in these situations, it's I, I sense more of like a team that's hesitant to make a play. Like some of the turnovers today were were passes back out. Like a guy would dribble to the free throw line and, then, and pass it out, right, pass yeah. it back out. I've had it too long. You take it. Mm-hmm. I've, you've, you know. Deferring, yes. just continuously deferring for one another instead of somebody taking the rock and making a play. And so I just think there's just this general sort of indecisiveness with the Jays mm-hmm. that um, kind of manifests itself down the stretch, and it, it turns the team into a different team, a more hesitant, less aggressive, kind of on-their-heels type of team, or at least this is what happened in the, fun, the last four games, in my opinion. Um, and that's not the team that we saw for thir- the first 36 minutes. Nope. But because, like, you know, the pressure does mount. You can't yeah, argue that it doesn't. It, ma- it mounts. The intensity rises. Like, you as a player and competitor feel that you need. Um, but to your example, you said Seton Hall didn't change, you know, in the final four minutes. But I bet you, if you're watching these two teams for the first time, it looked like they did. But is But that's because Creighton changed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't Seton Hall raising to the rising to the occasion. It was Creighton not. You know what I mean. So the difference was, Seton Hall was making plays because they didn't level off. Creighton did in that moment. That's what it seemed like, and yeah. that's what it seemed like the last three games. Right. That, um, you know, and the mistakes are there. Are, there are many mistakes. It's it's not just. It's funny because that's that's one thing that sort of stood out to me, and maybe it's just kind of in the moment the players are focused a lot on this game. But you know, they mentioned after the. 
today's game that turnovers were something that sticks out in their mind. But turnovers, to me, haven't really been – I mean, there was a bad turnover on the inbounds pass against Xavier, obviously. It's crazy in league play. They've, they've been – they've taken care of the ball. And, and then the turnovers today were huge. They had four in the final three yep. minutes. Those were obviously – but they didn't turn the ball over against Villanova late. They didn't turn the ball over late against Seton Hall the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a lot of different things yeah, that have led to it. But I think the common – Maybe two common threads. One has been just indecisiveness on offense. The number is 4 of 22 in the final four minutes shooting the ball in the last four games. So you add up all those final four minutes of regulation, the Jays are 4 of 22 from the floor. So inability to score. You know what they are against Seton Hall? Oh, it's bad. Cause one for 13. In the final four minutes? Mm-hmm. And the one was... Um, today. Oh, when so, Davion hit that uh, shot. Yeah, when yeah. Davion hit that jumper when they were down uh, like six. six. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's the offense the offense kind of stalling out, becoming a little bit too stagnant or just not having that alpha dog step up and make a play. And it. then the other one is just a mental thing. Mm-hmm. I think Mitch Ballack mentioned mental, fo- mental focus, um, which can lead to some turnovers, but I see that more on the defensive end, you know, giving up it didn't show up as much today, but um, giving up open three-pointers against Xavier, not getting to lose balls to grab that offense, that key offensive board, mm-hmm. um, leaving your feet defensively and giving up you know, fouling guys. Like Again, that, that, that mental focus factor I don't think showed up as much today defensively, but it has in, in the other games. So those are the two things to me. But I guess my thought is, is – why why do you think that Creighton has struggled to why do you think Creighton has struggled to like we're asking questions I'm asking questions right now about why that you know mm-hmm. oh or we see we saw, saw this game go down and, and Creighton doesn't have a go-to guy Seen Hall does why do you think the Jays have struggled to find that person I don't know I've always been of the mind that and I know like with the whole landscape of, like, sports debate, you know, right in the last decade or so that um, there's, like, a narrative of being clutch, you know, and then you try to, like, analyze based on, you know, small sample sizes of failure and success in those small windows, whether certain guys are clutch or whether they're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. And sometimes it's, like, easy to latch onto because you are going to fail a lot in a small sample size. So, like, what is a good sample size, you know what I mean? What is a good percentage of failure of success versus failure in those moments? And I just think it doesn't really... To me, that's never been the part of it that matters. To me, it's always been... You can just sometimes see guys... And, and definitely from our perspective, I think, if you're watching it as just trying to observe without emotion, you know what I mean? Because I... You know, I try to take emotion out of it, and I just try to, like, observe just the game itself and how it unfolds, and, you know, you try to read guys and try to get at least as good of an understanding to what their process is throughout the game, and it just feels like certain guys are wired to be closers, and I I don't want to, like, curse on the podcast, but, like, it's I just feel like you've got an FU switch, like... We're not losing today. If we are, 
we're going down swinging. We're gonna like our our best is gonna be at the end. You're gonna have to take it from us. We're not giving it to you. Like it's just a whole mentality, and you can see it with guys who like have a gear. They just go to when it's time to stop a run, when it's time to close the show. Um, they just got a swagger to them, and I don't know. It's hard to describe because it seems like it's a bunch of uncontrollable. You know what I mean? Like it's either. Well, did, 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 is he a closer because he hits shots, or is he a closer because he takes shots? Like, and it's just hard to describe. But I just think there's something different about athletes in those moments, in the moments where you'll look to them, and you just know they've got it. They've got that just factor to them. Like, I like a coach can trust them with the ball in any sport. They can trust him in the moment, and it just feels like there's too much that Creighton has right now that you can't that you don't whether they whether whether it happens or not you don't know if you trust them and you know I think if you're looking for guys who are just wired to be closers I feel like Marcus Zagorowski is wired that way because he is a stopper he has hit run stopping shots and made run stopping plays throughout the season and I don't want to like make an excuse for Creighton that they've got a stopper on their roster that they can't necessarily utilize to his full potential because of his injury. I'm not trying to like make an excuse for them, but I do think if I'm looking up and down and trying to find guys who are just wired to be those people in those moments, I think Marcus Zagorowski is that one. And and I guess going forward that gives maybe comfort to the his teammates maybe because they know that when he's right, they can trust him. And I think that helps the team yeah. itself. I was you, just thinking, if you have a guy who can do it, yeah. it's one thing to know you're that guy, but it's another thing for your teammates to have somebody that they know is there that can do it because it gives like a sense of calm throughout that permeates throughout everybody in that situation. And then you don't have that fear at the end. I you was have just, confidence. I was just thinking about Seton Hall because like, Miles Powell is clearly their finisher. He's their closer, but he wasn't the only one who made plays late. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I, I that that was the thought. I was like, okay, well, they know that they have miles that they can lean on, but these other guys are fueled with confidence because of the way that he carries himself. Yeah. Like he's that's what Quincy McKnight. That's what Quincy McKnight put. He's like, we've got Miles Powell. We know he's like, like we know we, we know we can count on him in the moment. Yeah. So the rest of us can just be. Go, and the other thing too, that was interesting hard. is that like, in in a lot of these games, I feel like. Creighton's opponents haven't really done anything out of the ordinary. Um, it's just guys making plays that I'm sure that they've made over and over again, whereas Creighton has struggled to make the plays that it does over and over again. Like some of the things that, you know, it would it will do right for 36, game, 36 minutes in the final four minutes it doesn't do. You know, something that came to my mind was think about how Creighton ended the first half. Um, they, they, it's, it's like, like ball screen to two, for, two for one situation where, where – uh, the Jays have the ball with like a minute left, and they Marcus Segarowski gets a, a layup, and they get a stop, and then Mitch Ballack hits a three. I mean, what is the difference between that executing right there in a forty-second stretch where it is? I mean, obviously the pressure is the difference, but yeah, yeah. you know, like why why can't you replicate that and, and bring it to the end of the game? That type of thing, that's I think, what, is that, the well, question. That's where, that's where poise comes in because you just, you know, with with when it, when it happens in the first half at the end of the half, you're not thinking this is going to win or lose this the game. You're just thinking 
we're just playing basketball right now. But but here's my and that, th- that's where the pressure and the poise comes in. At the end, you're thinking, if I don't make this pass perfect, if I don't make this penetrate, if but I don't dribble the right should, spot, if I don't get to the right spot, it's going to lose us the game. And that's where pressure affects. Right. You yeah. Because I mean? you shouldn't be thinking that way. Yes. Right. Right. That's like you should just be. That's pointed. how. That's how you, you can. Be yeah. Exactly. You can think yourself into a lack of confidence because you can be like, all right, where should I be here? Who should I, who's on me? Which which is he a strong defender? Like, can I beat him off the dribble, uh, or should I just kick it out, or should I just move the ball right. and cut? Like, and it just like when you don't have a guy who just is wired to close, that's that thought process ratchets up in those moments because you feel like you have to be perfect, otherwise you're gonna lose. Right. So it and that's what it looked like at the end of the game. It looked like Creighton was deferring, 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 just hoping for Seton Hall to make a mistake in that in that span of just chaotic movement and cutting and all that to give Creighton something that they couldn't mess up, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that doesn't, when Seton Hall was locked in defensively, so they were on top of their switching, they were on top of their matchups, they they, they were, you have to beat them in that situation, they don't give that to you, so that's why, all, the, all I mean, Creighton's turnovers were really lazy turnovers. They were turnovers of, they were turnovers from a lack of aggression, is what I put. Yeah, in. that's what I was thinking. Like they were, they yeah. kick out this way because I can't beat, I can't win this one-on-one matchup yeah. here. Or like, whereas in the first half they weren't doing that. They mm-hmm. were, they were, they were taking that ball all the way past the defender, going yeah. right into the heart of the defense, and then making a play from there. Right. Um, and they did do that a couple times late. Like Zegarowski, I think missed inside, and Tyson Alexander missed inside. Yeah. Um, so they, it wasn't every possession. No, no. But yeah, I agree. But. But, it was but the four turnovers that's were all from a play, yeah. were all from lack of aggression. I thought they weren't. They weren't. I don't think Seton Hall did anything from a defensive standpoint that caused those four turnovers. Right. I thought Creighton played into uh, played their way into coughing the ball up in those situations. But even the looks that they got at the rim, Tyshawn Marcus and and Davion got one too. Those were really those were contested, and I think in those situations, Seton Hall had a big rotate over to help. As a secondary defender, yeah, and they, I don't think they were going to let Martine beat them today. That's what they, they were yeah, really, they, they did. But but really I guess what I'm saying is that you know, so oh. well, no, what I was saying is that I think hard to say in the moment because here we are talking about guys needing to step up and be aggressive. But <clears throat> the defense sort of swarmed to the ball when they were driving in the paint. That was an opportunity um, mm-hmm. to penetrate and kick or or draw a foul or. or or find somebody on the inside cutting to the rim. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, that's hindsight. That's that's easier said than done mm-hmm. at times. But it is something that is certainly notable. But yeah, you're right though about Martin. That's a little bit of a different. He didn't um, touch the ball much at all at the end of the game. And I think there was only one. I, but I, I feel like only there was only one opportunity for him. Man, to, there was one situation where he had his guy. He sealed. had Miles Powell yeah. sealed, mm-hmm. and which is like he, even if he doesn't have him sealed, you should get him the ball. I think that was like. Uh, the game, the Creighton was still up two at the time, and had an yeah. opportunity to get him the ball on the block, and that's like that's kind of fits into what we're talking about, just about not maybe having the courage to make the play that yeah. you need to, just get that get that pass in there, ball fake, and and, and get it to him. But yeah, the Jays weren't able to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think where we should go next. Uh... My que- I guess my question is, what does it take for? Because now, the, the I think the concern is with this team because it's, it's a group that's going to be around, yes. for a while, yeah, intact for a couple of years. How do you shake this? How do you develop? <laughs> um, 
that quote-unquote closer mentality after well, after you lose four games like this and and the Mar- you throw the Marquette game in there too. Ohio um, State. Ohio State, yeah. yeah. The season's going to be defined by the missed opportunities, mm-hmm. most likely, unless Creighton does something sort of magical at the end. Um, so how do you work to make sure that that's not part of your DNA? I mean, are you... Do you spend the summer running like three, two, ones? <laughs> I was thinking like, well, four I was thinking like left four, right. yeah. <laughs> your pickup games are all like four mm-hmm. minutes left, and mm-hmm. and uh, the score's tied or something. Like I don't know. I, I, I well, I do think I do think you can practice it to like, a certain I, extent. Like I know we're joking, but I do think you can practice that to instill it in multiple people. But I just think I think it's like anything. You've got to have experience doing it and. So that means you have to have experience doing it before you get to this level. And it, I thought it was interesting you asked a question before we started recording, uh, like, you know, a couple hours ago that stuck with me. It's like, how many of these guys are guys? And when we're talking about guys, like, where it's like they're the go-to guys like on their team. Marcus Foster guys. Yeah, like balls in their hands in not just the moments, but, you know, the teeth of the game as well, to the point where they're just in their zone late. You know what I mean? Because, like, Miles Powell is already, what, he had already banged four threes before he hit a big one late to take, give him the lead, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he had already gotten himself heated up. And we saw with Marcus Foster a bunch last year where he would have just, like, he would just ghost himself in the first half and, like, what, the Northwestern game, the Nebraska game, DePaul... Um, you know, he would just turn it on, and then when it time, came time to close the show, he was already cooking, you right. know, and then he just gets to make a, a play that he has made in his sleep, you know. Miles Powell had already turned it on. He already got himself into rhythm. So the the one-on-one isolation matchup with Davion Mintz late in the game was, was just, he might as well have had no one guarding him because he's hit that shot millions of times, yeah. you know what I mean? So that's like, you got to have, I think you've got to have that already instilled in you by the time you get to this level in order to close at this level. And then obviously doing it at this level instills further confidence that you're able to do that. And then when you get to the other levels of professional basketball after that, like you just carry it forward. I mean, I'm sure that all these guys have hit. I mean, I'm sure these guys have all hit big shots. I remember Tyshawn hit. Like they've all played in big games because a lot of them are high level recruits. Right. But Um, was Tyshawn a go to guy? I don't know if he was, but I know he hit a big time game winner at the end of the game. In some in a like a pretty big AAU tournament setting type thing, he mm-hmm. wasn't, but he played at such a high level that no, he was he was with a lot of talented guys. So. What are, what does NBA call clutch stats? Final five minutes of the game, something like that. Yeah, I'm. I think I might go back. It might be interesting to go back and look at these guys and their careers of what they do in the final five minutes. I know it's probably unfair to do it from last year because they didn't have many opportunities to do stuff in the final five minutes because they had go to guy, but yeah. It's this just, year will be it, interesting to see. The what one thing I say like, it's 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 different to make a play, to be the guy making the play, than to have <laughs> somebody else make the play for you. Mm-hmm. So, I think that, um, Tyshawn, Mitch, even Davion to a certain extent, Martine certainly like they're comfortable performing and taking advantage of a situation when the defense is scrambling or they've got the advantage, um, it's a catch-and-shoot situation or a poor closeout or um, a mismatch down low, you know, like... Yeah. But to cr- how do you create that scenario? I think that's where the Jays have struggled 
late in games is because they just don't have that guy to that they can lean on to force the defense to overhelp or um, to move the defense by being creative enough, you know, in a one-on-one setting. Mm-hmm. So, whereas like Marcus Foster, I feel like a lot of times last year, you know, you get the ball to him, maybe you run a play for him, or maybe you just let him go to work, but the defense has to react to what he's going to do, and he's capable of, of putting you in a, in a bind. They don't have that piece, and yeah. you know, I, again, I think you're right though. How, how often have these types of have, how often have these guys been in those types of situations where the ball's in their hands, and they're being asked to make a play for themselves or for others? Mm-hmm. It certainly hasn't happened at this level because Marcus Foster was a guy the last two years, right? And these and, guys and, weren't and on the team. It was funny because that. you were mentioning even when Marcus didn't hit the shot, he made the play. So yeah. like Mitch is Mitch hit a big shot against Villanova last year, but who made the pass to him? Yeah, Marcus. Marcus. Like. It's again, you have confidence in you have more confidence in yourself when you've got a guy like that on the floor because you believe it's like the you know, it's like every clutch every all time great clutch player instills confidence in the people around them in those moments. Like, you know, Steve Kerr has the confidence to hit a game winning shot when Michael Jordan passes him the ball late because Michael Jordan is passing you the ball with the game on the line. So he's giving it to you because he believes in you, so you should. Yeah, believe. Jordan is is Tom deep. Brady the same thing. Right, like when Brady's at the clutch. ball in two minutes left, everybody from the offensive yeah. line on down feels like, yo, we got the ball in the goat's hands. We're fine. Like, if the champion of all champions is willing to put his faith us. in you, yeah. then you that inherently gives you the confidence to make a play. To make a play. Yeah. So that's kind of like what I think how how infectious it can be to be the guy. And have people around you trust that the guy is on your side and you feel good about it. Like, you know, when you've got the biggest, baddest dude on your team or you feel like he's the biggest, baddest dude on the floor and he's on your side, you feel great in any moment of the game. Mm -hmm. Especially late when it's like when the pressure is mounted and it's time to when everything is magnified. Um, So, yeah, how do they shake that? That's going to be tough because I think until someone from the group of players that are healthy. Because that, 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 to me, emerged. Like, that's going to be the question. Yeah. It's like Creighton's offense will have will peak and be really efficient going forward with this group if we're kind of looking long-term, even for the rest of the season. Like, the offense has a chance to be really good because of the shooters they have, and they're going to have these shooters for the next couple of years. Um, defensively, they're better. They're not going to be a great defensive team ever, but they can be good enough to win. It's gonna. What's gonna? The question is gonna be is, what happens in the final four minutes? Like, because mm-hmm. the pace will slow down, and they're gonna have to make big time plays offensively and big time shots, um, and they're gonna have to try to get high percentage looks, and then defensively they're gonna have to, kind of, rise to that level, make sure they're they're still focused but still playing with passion and intensity, um, and be able to lock down an opponent that wants to win just as badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you know they've got they've got time this year to, to try to figure it out a little bit more and, and maybe going through losses and kind of being forced to address something or to change something. Yeah. You know, the agony and the pain and the frustration, you either go one or two ways with it, and since there are more games left, I think that it's pretty easy for Creighton's guys to go the right way in terms of 
let's try to fix this because they have more games to play. Um, well, I think the that, thing that's going <laughs> to... It's funny because the thing that I think is in... That they have as an advantage to, their, to them the way they're currently playing is they've been pretty good for, like, 30 minutes of most of these games. So if you're if you can just put it on somebody really bad, <laughs> yeah. First 30, like if you just click and the other team's off, you well, know, that, like Seton Hall wasn't off today, so it was tough to yeah. put a like if Creighton had emerged from that under four at three forty with an eleven point lead, I'm you know I'm pretty sure that show is closed. Like it's just it's a couple possessions instead of four or five. Yeah, well I remember which makes it harder to close when uh, Mitch Ballack had that shot from the corner with like four minutes left. He missed it, and you said, "Oh, that's a big shot." That would have been a big shot. I felt like that was like. Dagger time, and that was that was going to stretch the lead to seven potentially. Instead, Um, it was at four for a a few more minutes until a a turnover, or uh, maybe a minute or so, a couple more possessions. But so yeah, that's I guess when I'm when to your point on the like there's six games left, they will, you you think they'll head in the right direction. I think that's because they for the majority of the game they do play with an edge. They do play pretty well. They like they are able to put themselves in position to win. So I think it's just. Yeah, I think they'll write the ship because when I look at the schedule, I don't see many teams that are, in theory, should keep up in you know in moments where Creighton's at his best for thirty minutes. And right. Like I just wonder how many of these games left will be close in that moment where it's like where where, it's, where there's something you can choke away. You know what I mean? Yeah, we might get this when we go to questions, but I just wanted to ask you because I'm sure a lot of Creighton fans are wondering. The last four games, losing close. How much do you put that on the coaching staff? And Good how much, question. And how I was much gonna, do you put it on the players? That was going to be my next topic. Is like we've talked about the players, now let's talk about the coaching perspective. Of it. Where do you, I mean, it's yeah, because like I feel it, like obviously it's, it's 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 the fault of both. Yeah, you know, both have a hand in it. Yeah, but where do you? So what is the pendulum swing to you when you analyze these four games right. at the end of it? Um, because here, my my just brief take is that. I generally look at close losses when I look at it on a small scale, like the, just the game. A lot of times, I find myself um, pointing at the players and the plays that they did not make or did make. Mm-hmm. I feel like players win you games down the stretch, but from a bigger picture standpoint, I think I tend to lean more toward coaching if there's a long term trend. Sure, you know, if, if if we're just analyzing each game in in a vacuum, its own sort of we set each game aside and look at it Mm -hmm. why did Creighton lose it's this this and this I think for me a lot of times I'll probably point to well you know players just didn't make plays but when I take it on on a whole and a broad level and I look at I think the last four games even though they had leads in the at the four minute mark in each one of them to me that says something about a lack of execution a lack of being prepared and we all we know the other like there's other circumstances involved obviously there's injuries and um the lineups miss, mix and matched, and you got guys who are running you're, on. You're doing a good job of hedging all the bets. Yeah, here I get you. Yeah. But, but yeah. what I'm saying though is that you four games in a row, you had the ball in your hands, mm-hmm. or or you had a lead, and with four minutes left, if it happened four times in a row, I think you got to look at the coaches. The coaches have to look at themselves and say, what What are we not getting across to get this team more ready for this moment mm-hmm. um, to prepare them so they're ready to execute? in these key situations. Here's my thought. I don't know if I'm right, but here's my thought on it. Because I do agree with you that I think it's too easy to go, to just stay on one side of the fence and then assume 
this is where all the problems are, and then look at the other side of the fence and assume that's where all the answers are, and they just need to get, like, I just think there's, it's easy to go down the middle and find problems, problems with players and coaching and answers with players and coach. Like, I think there's answers from a coaching perspective and there's answers from a player perspective, but I also think there are problems on both sides as well. So, like, I think that's only fair. Um, I wonder if Creighton's system, which is really good at just creating a free-flowing game, allowing um, individual skill players to be innovative and make plays, if it's not conducive to closing out games like this. Because it's so... I don't know how much structure is involved late. And I think when a game is tight, there needs to be some structure that you can lean on as a team. Because if you just trust... Here's a, I, we, I asked Mac about this in the game. I can't remember which one it was, but it was early. I think it was still in the non-conference. If, if, if I was like, if, do you need a stopper in moments where it's just time to make a big play that wins a game or stop a run that's getting out of control and it's getting sideways on you and the other team has a bunch of momentum? Do you need a stopper for that, or do you need... Or, or how do you how do you change that as a team? And, and his answer then was he would prefer that they trusted the ball movement, the player movement, the system itself. Today, though, was different. He said they lack a go-to guy. Yeah, well, he said that, too, to us um, going into this game, too, like a couple okay. days ago. Yeah. Remember yeah. our little conversation with Coach yeah. so after so, practice? Yeah, yeah, so to me, I think a go-to guy is, would thrive – thrives more in a system that doesn't necessarily require as much of everybody else to be engaged all at once. And maybe this is too overly simplistic because you want everybody to be in sync offensively because if the player is a go-to guy and he gets taken away, you need a player, you need the people around him to be ready for him to make a play for them. But I just wonder if it's like, if it's not necessarily, if you have an offense that's not necessarily designed for Davion, or if you have an offense that's not necessarily designed for Mitch, or if you have an offense that's not necessarily designed for Tyshawn, but it's designed for all of them, they kind of all feel that any of them could be the person, but not necessarily they should be, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's like, because you, be, you have to walk the line of being selfish and, and selfless, right? Because you can't be selfish, otherwise it affects the offense itself. But at the end of the game, I think it's required that the guy be selfish. Mm. And does that throw too much of a kink into the system itself? So I wonder if the system maybe late in games isn't conducive to creating for um, a player. Like, should you just, if it's four minutes left and you're coming down on a possession where you can extend a lead from four to seven or six... Or you can extend a lead from one to four or two to five, you know, just to keep the other team always at two possessions away, you know what I mean? Do you need to have just here's who needs the ball in this possession? Forget forget the movement, forget all this stuff, run this set for this player, get them the ball at all costs, and let them make a play off of it. Because I think But I would say that don't that's you think that's to me where it's like that's But don't you think the, the offense has that in it? I mean, last year that's what they did with Marcus down the stretch of games. They just 
they they didn't necessarily run. Um, they just gave the ball to him, right? Sure. Do they do they have someone they can just give the ball to now though? Is, no. is why we start right? You yeah. Know what yeah. I mean? So so if you don't if you don't have someone who thinks they should have the ball, you got to tell that person they are. Like it's almost like Mac has to choose who his go to guy is. You know what I mean? If if Tyshawn's got twenty points in the second half, Tyshawn needs the ball in every possession. Tyshawn needs to be breaking guys off the dribble. And, right. and they did call a play for him after one. Yeah. They but they they uh it was the uh it was there was a time under four timeout. Um actually kinda interesting because Seton Hall had a play for Miles Powell and he drove to the rim, missed the layup, and then Creighton had a play for Tyshawn and he drove to the rim, missed the layup. But then Tyshawn didn't have another play for him. Right. And Miles Powell obviously did what he did. Yeah. So that's that's where I would put the end of games on coaching is like you kind of have to if a if a go to guy if a, if the team itself the players on the court don't know who the go to guy is the coach has to choose a go to guy yeah you know what I mean like they have to just say this is who needs the ball on every possession at all costs find a way to make it happen within thirty seconds and get the best shot you can get you know what I mean instead of you know just trusting that through everything, something good will happen. Yeah. Organize it, I guess. Is, you know, that's probably what it comes down to, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, just, if you, and that's if you want to have, have as much control on the outcomes of coaches as you possibly can. Do I think Creighton's system is conducive to winning basketball? Yeah, because I feel like over the course of a game itself, you're creating better shots for the whole team, and it's hard to stop a bunch of people than it is one. So... Yeah, it's tough to have that in your DNA, but I just think more structure at the end and less pace and space and movement and ball movement and just whoever finds himself in the right spot with the ball in their hands. But then again, that could also be an overreaction to Creighton's failures in those moments because I w- I would, if I were to argue with myself, I would also say going back and watching all these games and seeing the situations that, they put, that the system put themselves in, they have gotten good looks from guys who can hit shots. It's just not always the same person. Right. You know what I mean? Like Davion at the end of Xavier had a wide open look off of a baseline on a bounce to tie the game, missed it. Mitch tonight had a wide open look in the corner to extend the lead to seven, missed it. Um, Marcus Zagorowski caught the ball off of, I don't think it was designed for him. I don't know if it was, but he caught the ball wide open with no one around him, hesitated because of the hand, ended up losing it, and that was a game tying three potentially. So there's a lot of so like my point is like if it, to play devil's advocate is like I, the system also creates opportunities for players to step up. Yeah. So maybe that's not necessarily something that should be you know scrapped and just in favor of ISO hero ball. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know. That's my long winded answer to your ultimately what is the coaching. Piece it to piece it. Piece to it, yeah. yeah. What do you think? Um, I mean, if you can even focus after my rambling. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't. I think there's something to be said about the pressure of the moment getting to this team. And so, how do you replicate that? How do you fuel so you're them? You're talking about pre- preparation, then. I think so. Okay. How do you How do you sort of prepare them for that moment? To handle it, and I don't know the answer to this because like a really I'm not good a coach. To ask Mac yeah. Or Wednesday or I, again, I'm not a coach, so I don't know how you do that. And um, the things that 
Miles Powell said after the game to me when I was talking to him about why they are so good at it. Or they're not, I don't know. They're not even that good at it, are they? I mean, what's their record in close games? They've had a lot of them this year. Uh-huh. Um, and they've, I mean, what are they? My guess is that they're probably like 8-6 and six or something in close games. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I'd have to go through their schedule and look at it. They haven't won all their close games. They're not like Marquette. Right. Marquette has won yeah. something like 8-1 and one or something in games mm-hmm. decided by 6 points or less or something like that. But um, one of the things that Miles Powell said was just like, the sense that I got is just how comfortable they were in that moment. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. And maybe that's partly because they played in a lot of these close games all year. But he mentioned, too, like, uh, just the confidence that they have in one another, the confidence that Coach Willard had. Like he said, I looked over at Willard, he gave me a head nod, and I knew I was going. You know, that type of stuff. And um, I – yeah. There's something about that the mental aspect of the game that I feel like I, I remember we were talking to Greg McDermott before this is after the Xavier game about just what's happened in close in the close losses recently and I asked him about if you have to if if it's only if it's all about experience and reps and and that's yeah, kind of what he, I, I think that's what he ended up settling on I think was that you just need to play in these situations more the more you do it the better you're going to be at it which um, makes sense because we're right. kind of talking about practicing can, that. Like, but can you yeah. practice it? Can you like, simulate it? Can you simulate it in practice yeah. or can you simulate it um, in other ways? I don't know. Again, I, I'm not sure um, how to deal with the psyche of a 19, 20-year-old basketball player, but there's there's something there that's missing for the Jays and it's a, I think it's up to the coaches to figure it out for them or to at least help them, guide them in the right direction. Um, but, yeah. So, again, I, I honestly, I kind of lean more toward pointing that pendulum or that arrow at the coaching staff when I look at the four games from a bigger picture. When I look at it from a smaller picture, I see all the mistakes that the players made, and I'm like, "Well, yeah, that you can, um, you can easily find fault there." But mm-hmm. ultimately, well, I just they, think, ultimately I, I, they yeah. lost game. When you win games, I mean, when you lost thirteen you can, games, you can probably find enough blame to go around. Well, yeah, so. and I'm saying, and I was going to say too, when you win games, when you win close games, everybody looks good. Yeah. Um, if if Davion Mintz hit that shot against Xavier. Um, the first one at the end of regulation it was a pull-up three. It's the same shot he hit at the end of the run today where Creighton scored 12 straight points and he had that dunk, and then two possessions later he hits a pull-up three. Mm-hmm. If he hits that shot against Xavier, then we're talking about all the good things that Creighton did down the stretch to find a way to close it out despite the the blunder of the turnover. You know, It's like, well, they had that play, but look at what else they did well um, because I think the Jays made like three threes in the final four minutes of that game against Xavier, final four minutes of regulation in the game against Xavier. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just a play or a shot that really changes the narrative, but um, yeah, it, it's just it feels like there's a... It's just, it's it's crazy to put it all together and think about how many ways they've lost. Because when you just, like, they made winning plays to beat Marquette and then just needed one final one and didn't do it, mm-hmm. and they made a couple. Xavier they again. made a couple winning plays today. I mean, think about 
Tyshawn Alexander. They came out and got like four, three stops, three stops and four possessions at the, at the right away under four. So they came out of the timeout at three forty yeah. and went like I think they went stop, pick six, which you you know your defense didn't have a chance to stop the breakaway dunk. That was Seton Hall's only bucket I think in a four possession stretch was the pick six. It, for it, it went it went stop stop. Dunk for McKnight. Which the defense stopped. There was no defense. For right, him. right. Yeah. Stop, stop. Dunk for McKnight. Stop. Yeah. Um, so their set defense was making winning plays. Right. I think well, one, they, I think it, one it, possession so that, leaded to buck, that leaded to points for Seton Hall, I don't know what they got out of it. They might have got free throws out of it. But I remember Creighton got forced to miss and had a bunch of Seton Hall players boxed out and didn't go for the ball until it got to the baseline and they tried to save it in. Tyshawn Doe for it. It went out of bounds. No, like, that, that, they didn't get a bucket after that. They didn't get a bucket after that? Mm-hmm. That was, that, after when Tyshawn Doe got the, out, of the, out of bounds, that was the other four-minute timeout. Okay, so they ended up getting a stop after that. Yeah. Then. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so like Creighton was... And you had Mitch Ballard drawing a charge, and even the play... And Mitch drew a charge after a turnover, too, I think. Yeah. He even, came down and drew a charge Even on the play where... Your boy um, Thompson trying to drive and make a play. Even the play where... Tyson Alexander hustles back and blocks the dunk attempt yeah. by by uh, Quincy McKnight right. after the game was tied and the ball was turned over. Reminiscent of when he turned it over in Newark and had to come back <laughs> and, and block Powell block at the rim. Yeah. Powell, yeah. yeah. So it's like the effort's there. That yeah. the, They've made certain plays, but they just can't make enough of them. They make winning plays. They just don't make enough winning yeah. plays. <laughs> I mean, that's it. So it's there, man. It's like, it's you know, when you look at like, there's something there. They are making plays that help you close the show. They just don't make the one. Yeah. You know, so that's what probably the front. The other thing that's It's inter- probably frustrating, and it's probably like maybe it just reinforces some positivity because you're like, all right, they're almost there. They're just not quite there. Right. And that's probably tougher to digest because there's so much. There are so many emotional losses that the fan base has kind of like had to absorb this year. And then when they're reacting to us in real time, they're obviously at the height of their emotional release, if you will. Um, that it's just tough for them to, you know, it's tough for as a fan probably to absorb it as many times as they have because they have no control over the situation and they're just like hoping it happens. Right. Um, well, I think. But it is really tough for the players too because they just look. You, I just you just feel so. I mean, you don't. You just feel so bad for them, you know, like as people, because they're just. The human element of it is like the most difficult part because they can't even speak. They're so, you know, demoralized by the result of what just of all of their. I mean, Davion thirty-two minutes, Tyshawn thirty-four, Marcus with a broken hand at thirty-five, Mitch thirty-nine minutes. I mean, that's a lot of effort to put into a a game to try to win and not for it to happen. Like you just don't, you just can't feel anything but emotionally. For the fourth straight. Time. Four straight times. Yeah. Yeah. So like since, you know, since and it's all within the same month. I mean, since February third, they haven't won. So right. That's a long time to go without winning, and the, for the losses to happen the way they've had is probably even worse. So they. This is a kind of a more. Spin it forward, way forward type comment, but because um, Creighton's, like we've said many times, this group is going to be together next year. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Like, look at the mentality that Miles Powell has this year. It's different than he had last year. That's largely because he had other players on his team that were kind of take-charge guys at the end of games. Right. Uh, but Shamori Pons is totally different as a sophomore, or as a junior, than he was as a sophomore. Damn right he is. Um, Marcus Howard is better, more lethal. Um, his games, 
he he's more consistent as a scorer. Um, Phil Booth is better as a senior than he was as a junior. So mm-hmm. there will be improvement, but so how saying, much improvement is, yeah. is the question. And I think that – Well, like, is Creighton going to get better in the teeth of the game as they go forward in their careers to the point where they're not going to be in as many close games? Probably. Yeah, I would I mean, imagine that's, that's yeah. part of it. But then you still are going to play some close games, so how do you handle that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, shall we jump into questions, see what we got? I will warn you, some of this got a little messy. Um, well, I feel like this podcast has been kind of messy. I feel like we've been bouncing around a lot, so that's all right. That's fair. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think we only have a couple, but um, they're good ones. So in, oh, this, this maybe this is just not even a comment that I should make or a question that I should have. So we've talked about players not making plays and the coaches maybe not putting them in the best position to do it. Mm-hmm. But how much of this, too, is just, like, bad luck? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, this is – there's been stuff that's happened that you can't even – Sometimes it's your season, sometimes you're not. It's not. It just doesn't make sense, some of it. Um, Najee Marshall banging in two threes at the end of the game uh, against Xavier – I mean, Miles Powell doing what he did is it's impressive, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a. I don't, I, I don't I know. Don't, I don't know anything about probability. All I, all I know is all I know is if they've had any good luck this year, I'd like to hear your examples <laughs> of what that looked like. You know. What have you ever looked at Ken Palm's luck factor? I look at a lot. Actually, what what does it mean? Do you do you understand that? Um, that I I don't know what it means. I know how he describes it, but I like don't know how. I don't even know how you would quantify it. I just think I always thought it was like how many games have you won that maybe you shouldn't, <laughs> or like how many games have you won that maybe could go either way, you know, like that are yeah. just like there's some kind of uncontrollable part to it. Um, yeah, it's wild. Well, Creighton's three hundred twenty fourth in luck. That's whatever uh, that means. I bet you. <laughs> That sounds very on point, actually. <laughs> Who are the worst? Who are the teams that are worst? Aren't there 20 teams worse then? Yeah, yeah there's a lot of Anybody teams. Anybody we know? Uh, Boise State's last in the country. Creighton played them. Uh, let's see. Illinois. So there's Boise State, Western Illinois, two teams Creighton has beaten. Yeah. I wonder if Creighton beating them affected their, their, luck, their luck. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> like if you lose to an unlucky team, you get downgraded even worse. <laughs> Texas is on there. Miami, Auburn. I'm surprised Clemson isn't on there because Clemson has lost. They lost. Oh, there oh, they, they are. are. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we were just before we look at this, let's just say who have been unlucky this year yeah. in our minds, and then they're there. Three hundred and eleven. Yep. Clemson is three hundred eleven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nebraska. Oregon, three hundred four. Yep. Nebraska's at three twenty. Ooh, Nebraska and Creighton. A battle for who has the unluckiest, the team, unluckiest in the state. team in the state. Mm-hmm. Creighton has four spots on Nebraska right now. Um, Hang a uh, banner. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, it I'm does not. feel like Creighton has been unlucky, but it's hard to sort of yeah, I think I went back have at, that conversation. I went especially. back and looked at their like, luck factor under Mac. I think, maybe a month ago or whatever. I think their only good year is 12-13, uh, the year before they got to the Big East. Okay. 
So I don't know what that means. I don't know either. But they were like, they were twentieth in luck. Good that teams year. make their own luck, maybe. Yeah, that's, maybe that's uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So they were twentieth in luck, Doug's junior year. That's all I know. Um. Okay. Questions. Brian, first of all, wants to know what music have has the team been listening to. I don't really know. We gotta find that out. Normal hip, cool, eighteen to twenty year old playlist. Yeah, probably. maybe they need to switch it up. Maybe. What have you been um, listening to? Maybe go back to the music of um, the, the glory days. Maybe the late eighties, early nineties. I was going to say, what's the glory? Yeah. What, what are the glory I don't, days I don't of Crane? I don't know. The Corver years, maybe. I thought they were the Doug years. They went to the Big East for kind of loud. Um. I've been listening to some... It's funny because we've had that conversation a lot about like what the glory years are for Creighton. It's like, when you look at who they've been, they're not really that far off. From, they're actually above it, first of all, consistently. And then, are the glory years right now? Yeah, that's what... Right? Haven't we argued that? I don't know. We might have. We're like, fans are like, we want to go to the Sweet 16. And we're like, you've never been there before. Calm down. I know. It's funny. I just... Yeah. I, I, he was emailing back and forth with the fan. Um... And I sort of listed out Creighton's accomplishments in the last three years, things that they haven't done. Beat, they beat more ranked teams in the last three years than in the Alman era or in any, like the Sutton era, uh, any era that you can point Never. to. Yeah. Ranked in the top ten two years ago, three draft picks in the last five years. and uh, <laughs> But it doesn't it, – there's that, like, sense that, it, no, they've they're recruited, you know, well – well enough. Mm-hmm. This year, there's still some questions about what they're going to do for 2019, but the last two years, they've had recruiting classes ranked 25th and 42nd, which is higher than Ever they've before. been in at least the modern era, modern recruiting era. But yet, you know, there is sort of that idea that there's more out there, and they haven't been... There's some missed opportunities they haven't capitalized mm-hmm. on. And I think that's right. I think that's a fair feeling to have, but also... But when you're talking about they that... They might be in a good place, too? Yeah. Can, they, can, you, can you have both? Can you be in a good place but also feel like you're missing opportunities? I don't know if right. like, those two thoughts can coexist or yeah. not. Either It's either one or the other. Because if you're not in a both. good place, then you have to hit a reset button. And if you hit a reset button, do you risk losing your place which you feel isn't currently good enough and maybe you aren't factoring how far you can fall? Yeah. Um, I think Nebraska football used that experiment for the last 20 years, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, they're like, we're better than this. And then they didn't realize they could have gotten worse than they did, right? Right. Well, like, that's this, a telltale sign for the future. But what, I don't are you, know. what have you been listening to? Yeah. Like, what, I, what do you, when, what does Johnny Atala listen to when it's like, man, I just got to get right? <laughs> uh, probably Alabama Shakes. Alabama Shakes. Yeah. Huh? Um, I'm, that's one of my go to. If I'm suffering from a little writer's block, I'll just put that on in the background, and that usually gets me in a good. Five good spot. Them, yeah. yeah, I listened to Cardi B's new album or mm-hmm. most recent album yesterday, two days ago. Yeah, while I was working. So um, mine's not gonna be a popular answer because I don't think a lot of people like country. But Kenny Chesney is my dude. So I just that dude's got a lot of positive vibes. So like whenever I like put on one of his Island albums and like I just can't help but mm-hmm. go to a good place mentally. So. Chris Stapleton, he I, he's a ah, go-to for me. At times. I like Chris Stapleton. Yeah. yeah, that's about as country as I get. Do you? Yeah. I figured you were going to throw things at me if I said that. No, no. I don't. No judgment. Never going to podcast with me again, maybe. We no. don't hear much country in the uh, century or the uh, nope. championship center. No, we don't. I'm pretty sure if you did, though, Mitch would sing along to a lot of the songs. <laughs> That's it. 
Because every time there is a country song, like he's like in karaoke mode. So, Um, yeah. Um, Let's see. Is it possible that the Jays' offensive woes are somewhat caused by the amount of effort and attention they are giving on defense? Uh, Interesting. Like, can you? be two things at once, I guess, good defensively and good offensively, maybe, is that how it's, right. what's being asked here? And, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if Creighton was all that great defensively today. I think no, no, they weren't. Yeah, no. so. Especially not in the second half. Right, I mean, they gave 51 points in the second half. Yeah. So, I know. In the first half, I mean, I thought they were pretty good. I thought it was more what they were doing. Seton Hall, <laughs> coaches and players might disagree with me, but I thought Creighton being in the right spot playing with active hands defensively led to a lot of Seton Hall's turnovers. I thought the Jays forced them into some tough situations. In they had 10 in the first half. Yeah. Only three in the second. Too. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think mm-hmm. Creighton maybe the Creighton the had the old, Creighton had the old six and six. They balanced that out. Six turnovers. Yeah. Four in the final three minutes. I yeah, they didn't really balance. <laughs> it wasn't quite balanced. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... They have focused a lot on the defensive end, and I don't know what it hurts in terms of offense because they do – they still get shots up. They still put in extra time. Like, I don't think it – you know, I think Creighton's offense the last three games and maybe fourth now is, like, not having Marcus Egorowski on the floor because I think while he wasn't really shooting much in terms of jumpers today, I thought just the the spots he puts guys in – to score is just something that you they don't have anywhere else on the team. He's the only one, yeah. really. Um, like, the work is done when he gets you the ball, I feel like. You know, if he he knows how to get you a, a nice, hard, accurate pass in your shooting pocket where you should be. Um, he knows, like, his touch passes in the paint in traffic to guys that are, like, by the rim or near the rim or in the paint or cutting there usually provide you the right opportunity to score right away as soon as you touch the ball from him. So, like, his ability to get guys the ball where they need it is a level above everybody else on the roster. So that's what I think the last four games not having – the last three – the three games without him definitely showed that. And then um, today I thought it was easy to see that he was – affecting things in a positive way offensively, even though um, he wasn't 100%. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like there is something to it. But I think it may be less about physic, like less about the physical part of it and more mentally. I think that when... Well, because they needed to practice. They needed to ratchet it up defensively. They did. Like, it was, they weren't, they weren't going to... They weren't going to win if they kept just trying to win firefights the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah, they had to make that. That had to click in the players' mind. It was like, we can't just outscore everyone. Yeah, we have to develop a level of But it did feel like toughness. today, during stretches, especially in the second half, like they thought that, or maybe this is just me projecting a little bit, but like. They started riding, riding the wave of that 60% cliff they, they were hitting at. When they were making all the, especially when Tyshawn was making his threes. Because they missed the last six threes, but they hit seven of their first nine in the second half. So it was so. like, it was almost like. The Jays were like, this should be enough. Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we're hitting. Seton Hall should 
they, it's time to go home now. Yep. Like, we got this game. But their largest lead in the second half was only seven. Right. So Tyshawn scored 20 points. He was going off. There was that stretch there where they traded threes. Tyshawn hit three, and uh, Seen Hall answered with three of its own. Mm-hmm. Miles Powell hit two. And uh, what, did you say, what did you say it was? How many threes were hit in a row? Seven? Uh, I think it was like it was six in a row, and I think it might have been like eight of nine or something combined by both teams. Yeah, so it was like a firefight. Right. Yeah. And sometimes threes are just threes. You know, you give up. You, you say can, that. You can contest it, and mm-hmm. you can do well defensively. They just hit it. But I don't know. I felt like today that it's weird. It's just like it felt that Creighton um, a lot of times you would think, okay, you make a shot, you can feed off that defensively and bring more energy. And I think Creighton has done that a lot of times this year, but today it didn't seem like that was the case as much. And maybe that's literally just because Seton Hall made shots. And, again, I'm, I'm um, kind of putting my own spin on it. But it felt like there was a little bit too much assuming being done on Creighton's part instead of just, like, digging in. You hit that shot, then you should, like, bring that same intensity, that fire, that passion to the defensive end. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were missing that. But I do think that, I don't know, I think that there's something to the idea. I mean, think about Greg McDermott saying, and that's this is partly because they had, or is because they had a smaller roster when they went to Villanova, but he was like, we can't play at our pace and also give the energy and effort needed defensively to slow down that team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's hard for Creighton to play at the pace that it wants to and then also bring the required energy defensively that it needs, um, especially when it's got a short-handed roster. And then yeah. today, they, the Jays really leaned on their starters a lot. And so, even though, I remember we talked to Mitch a couple of days ago at, at practice and talking about fatigue and being tired, and he's like, I don't feel tired. You don't feel tired when you're out there, but... I can go for days is what he said. <laughs> yeah. but, but maybe you are a little bit tired. Maybe you're just a step slower. You don't realize it, but you played 35 intense minutes, and, and uh, maybe that has plays into it as well. I don't know. I think there's something there, but I don't know how to... I do think that um, Creighton can be... Creighton's never going to... Again, when it runs this pace, this offense, that, that what it does, what it wants to do, it's never going to be like a top 25 defensive efficiency team. Also, you don't think no, you don't think maybe they, can, they can work hand-in-hand? I, I don't think that they can work hand-in-hand to that level. I mean, Creighton's, aiming, the, what, like, Creighton's the, aiming to be like a top 20, top 15 offense. Mm-hmm. So I think if it's a top 50 defense, then you can – that's mm-hmm. acceptable. I think that would be um, – I think it's, it would be hard for Creighton. Like who – who, the teams that are highly efficient on offense and highly efficient on defense aren't pushing the pace like Creighton is, right? Correct. Maybe North Carolina, but North Carolina has a roster full full of athletes and really good players. So yeah, and then they also don't have much of a system either. They just run. Their running is a little bit different than Creighton's. It's more like oh, they don't. We have better players. Yeah, they don't. They don't actually (laughs) run anything set wise. They just let dudes be dudes. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny because like I I can't remember who wrote about it, but uh, I want to say it was like Norlander or Dowster. Wrote about like Roy Williams when North Carolina was in the championship game a couple of years ago against Gonzaga, and it's like Roy Williams' system, and it's like 
They don't even call plays. They just, <laughs> just they just okay. do they just do things. Michigan State is uh, sixth in offensive efficiency and seventh in defensive efficiency. But like, are we really going to compare Creighton to Michigan State? Like, I don't think yeah, that's who you can never. So I don't. I mean, I don't. Who is a more comparable team to look at? Maybe well, what's Iowa? There's a there's a discrepancy with Iowa. Because um, Iowa, they're like eighth in one twenty, eighth in offense, one twenty in defense. That feel, I feel like is an apt comparison because they play with a lot of pace and they like to, you know, be lean on their offense. UCLA yeah. isn't a good defensive team, are they? I don't know. I was just looking at last year, Creighton was or two years ago, and obviously the the end of the season, Creighton lost some efficiency offensively once Maurice Watson went down. But really, they were. <laughs> Yeah, they were thirty second in offense. And, he stole and my heart. They were thirty second in offensive efficiency and forty sixth in defensive efficiency. Um, that to me is like, that's what I would aim for. Mm-hmm. If I could, if I could, if I were Creighton, I could draw it up. What Last was, year they were twenty fifth in offensive efficiency and fifty eighth in defensive efficiency. This what's, is what's Kemp on by the way? What's, adjusted yeah, yeah, yeah. What's uh, adjusted? Uh, what's Saint, what's Saint John's this year? Um, that's a good question. Because they shoot a lot of threes and they want to push the pace, according to Chris Mullen. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but he might not know what they're trying to do, so. Yeah, they kind of 53rd in offense and 64th in defense. Oh, so yeah, like there is balance to the whole thing, right? Yeah. But the, but they're not executing, with at least from an efficiency standpoint. Like Creighton would be disappointed with a 53rd ranked exactly. offense. They want to be in the top. That's They build a system around it. They want to be elite. What's Syracuse? 93rd offense, 23rd defense. Yeah. Um, Virginia? Yeah, it's hard to find. Well, Virginia's top 10 in both. Yeah. But they have the slowest pace in the country, though. Yes. Right? So maybe that's something we got to look at. What high-paced teams are able to also bring some efficiency? Well, is it, easier to be a fit, is it easier to be efficient in a lower-possession game? Because that's like... You would think that's so. That's what Wisconsin does. That's Villanova. That's Virginia. All the teams that you think are the most efficient teams in the country also play yeah. low-possession games, right? Right. So it's all about their – to them, it's about – the game's about execution, not about possessions. Right? Except for, well, Michigan State. Michigan State's the only one. Although Michigan State their, 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 tempo, their tempo's pretty slow this year. so maybe Is it really? Yeah, they're at 160 in adjusted tempo. Oh, my God. Are they really? Yeah, I North, wonder if their injuries have made them slow down because normally they're one of the five. North Carolina sixth in adjusted tempo, they're seventh in uh, offensive efficiency and twentieth in defensive efficiency. Like that might be the standard bearer for the type of team. Well, Gonzaga, I know Gonzaga. Well, they're they're adjusted tempo sixty five. They usually play pretty fast, but they're they've got the most efficient offense in the country and twenty fourth in defense. Those are like the standard bearers, I would think. But, but but Gonzaga and North Carolina, but they're dudes, also though. yeah, it's yeah. Gonzaga and North Carolina. I mean, it, they've got they've got dudes. It's hard to, yep, yeah. So it, it is interesting. You can almost argue with yourself all day about trying to find the right balance, right? Right. Because there aren't really any dynasties in college basketball right now in terms of systems, are there? It's just who's got the most dudes, right? It's like an arms race, kind of more than it is a. Who's got the system that it feels like can't it, be stopped? Well, yeah, and I mean, it feels lately like it's just been about who's got the most experienced team and that of of talent. You got to have talent, sure. but also experience, and then you you blend that together and you win games in March. That's usually what, that's what it seemed to have worked out as. Yeah, over the last three years. Right now, Creighton has. Right now, we know for sure Creighton doesn't have an experience. 
necessarily not. We'll find out in a couple of years if they have talent, right? Because right? they will. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Which is what we've always been said. Like evaluate this thing when it's like done, not in the moment. There's yeah, a lot of it, in the moment it, evaluation going on right, right now, and we can do that too. But I think it's fair to write the story when it's when it's all there to be written. You know what the, I mean? There's like, there's two things at play with this season because. The guys are young and they're going to be back. It's it's sort of the big picture perspective and the short term. Sure. And then I think a lot of people are wondering if the short term actually affects the big picture. So some of the things that have been um, problems this year or that have led to the close game losses or mm-hmm. things that the Jays have tried to fix but haven't been able to fix consistently, if that's going to sort of bleed into next year or bleed into the rest of the season or something like that. Do you, you believe know? that? Because I don't. I think it's worth asking. Or oh, worth that. Oh, I, I mean, I don't think it's not worth asking, but I don't believe that. I don't know. I don't. Know I don't believe that one season's. I don't believe that one season's uh, Achilles heels, if you will, are necessarily going to be next seasons, or or one season's strength will necessarily be next season's strengths. Like, I think because I just remember the fifteen sixteen team that was the first year with Watson, and they had Foster redshirting and Patton redshirting. Like that team was. Like, that team found ways to lose games they shouldn't. or the, They found ways to lose games that they had chances to win. Um, I think they lost at home to Marquette. They lost uh, at home to Seton Hall. They lost to Seton Hall at MSG. At Georgetown. Um, yeah, at Georgetown. Was a, wow, how did I forget that one? Um, Providence at home when they held the Friars like, 30% shooting. One of the ugliest games I've ever seen in my life. Um, there, was a lot, there were a lot of games like this year. Yeah, but then the next year, you know, they were really good and like they, you know, they they won a close game with Wisconsin, um, Ole Miss, down Ole Miss, Street. yeah, Ole Miss when they were down. I don't know if they deserve credit for Oral Roberts, but they won that. <laughs> right, <laughs> or when they just didn't score the last. <laughs> but they, yeah, yeah, but they didn't let them score. So yeah, no, uh, that next year they were they were four and four. In uh, in what I called close games, I didn't include. I, I made a list of close games in that in that season. I didn't include uh, the Wisconsin game, but they did make plays on the stretch. You didn't, to, oh, okay, yeah, to, yeah. To win yeah. That. Was, four, I mean, they won that. They won that one by twelve, so it's probably hard to call that. Yeah, close. I feel like they made plays to push that out. Right, but I think they were three and one with uh, at least under my parameters with Watson, and then okay. once Watson was out, they were one and three in close okay. games on that after that. But um, but your point is, they, like, yeah. I feel like one the same the, group of people can change the narrative. You know what I mean? Like that's what. It, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I wonder if they can change it this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do too. Because it doesn't look like they believe. Because they if they did, if they were able to change it this year, or at least, no, if they were able to change it this year, at least, or even in a temporary status, like win one close game mm-hmm. again, they've they've already won a couple close games this year, but like two and seven or something in those close ones, two and six. Um, if they do it, maybe some of those questions are answered before we get to next season. Oh, okay. I see what you're, I see where you're going. Yeah. Like, try to grow up before the off season, Right. And give people a reason for hope. Yeah. Um, next question is, how do you fix a team's confidence? Um, God, I don't know. That's why I don't get paid to do it, thankfully. Um, I don't know. I think they just got to win a game. And more specifically, I think they've got to win a game like this. Like, I think they've just got to, like, 
Because I think they went into maybe this stretch of play believing that they could do it, that they had guys that were capable of making plays down the stretch and that it wouldn't be. But then, like, watching today, it like, felt like there was just a little bit lack of belief in that moment where they just didn't know... They didn't... I mean, they didn't know who was... who needed to be the person to close the show, and they didn't necessarily feel as confident as they did in the first... You know, thirty-some odd minutes of the game. So I don't know. I think they just got to do it. They just got to win a, a win a game like this, and then yeah. they'll have some. They'll have something to fall back on in terms of like, all right, how did it happen, and how do we do it again? I mean, if you keep putting yourself in position to win games, eventually you're going to do it, right? You can't keep losing. <laughs> maybe you can. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think you just got to win a game like this. And then it's because the I think confidence. I think confidence comes from the experience of doing it. Like yeah. I think you know you're confident in your shot when you see it fall. You're not confident when you see it miss. I think it's the same thing if you zoom over to winning and losing. You're confident if you can win these games if you do it. You're not confident if you are in these games and you lose. So I think in terms of fixing the confidence that they can win is just by going out and winning one of these games. That's gotcha. that's. Just, that's as simple as I can put it without making millions of dollars a year. <laughs> um, I think this is our last one. Everything else is kind of mean. I'm just about the just about the media. Oh, really? I got, yeah, I got. We we they people think we spin stuff, but I think they're just like they're just really passionate about the game, and they wonder why we aren't putting more. Um. I don't know. Having more teeth to our post-game grilling sessions, if you will. Um, basically, we should be writing Fire Mac columns. But we haven't yet. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, this is how are how are the Big East projections compared to the current standings? What are the current standings? Let's see. What I, I don't understand the question. How, like, I guess preseason projections oh, playing okay. out according to current okay. standings. So gotcha. the current standings are uh, Villanova won by half a game over Marquette. So they're 11-2. and two. Marquette's 10-2. and two. St. John's is, well, pro- Seton Hall's probably third because of head-to-head. So Seton Hall's third at 7-6. and six. St. John's is fourth at 7-6. and six. Butler's five at 6-7. and seven. Georgetown's five and seven. Xavier, five and eight. DePaul, five and eight. Creighton, four and nine. Providence, four and nine. Well, Providence is definitely the most disappointing team in the conference because they should not be at the bottom. Yeah. So that's one that's out of whack currently. What were they projected? I don't know. The, that's a good question. They picked, like, third? I thought they were picked fourth. Third or fourth? Let me see if I can find the I'm preseason. trying to think. Preseason poll. Villanova was picked to win it, right? I believe so. For me, it's played out pretty close to what I thought aside from Creighton and Providence being at the bottom. Um, actually, you know what? Actually, I think I, Creighton was picked ninth, so that's not even out of whack. I know, but that's not what I thought. Oh, okay. So, yeah, here's the preseason. I think I would have flip-flopped Seton Hall and Creighton. I didn't I didn't expect. Um, All right, so, like, to, here, I'll say the I'll say the preseason poll, and you say where they're currently ranked. That would right. be the best way to answer that. So, Villanova, one. One. Marquette, two. Two. Providence three, last. <laughs> St. John's four. Uh, 
Fourth. Butler, five. Fifth. Xavier, six. Xavier is in seventh, tied for seventh. Georgetown, seven. Georgetown, Georgetown is sixth. Seton Hall, eight. Seton Hall is third. Creighton, nine. Creighton is nine. DePaul, ten. DePaul is tied with Xavier for seventh. Um... And they split that, so yeah. Yeah, right. I don't uh, know what is exactly, yeah. but yeah. Okay, so Providence is way below. Seton Hall is way above. St. John's and Butler and Xavier and Marquette and Villanova and Georgetown are about right. Creighton is about right. DePaul is way above, right? But that's according to... Yeah, I pre- mean, recent yeah. questions according to Curtis. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I just... Yeah, I did not agree with those preseason projections as okay. it related to Creighton. So what are the so when you look at the standings now, what surprises you? Because yeah, according Creighton, to your projections, Creighton and Providence at the bottom. Okay. Um, Seton Hall, where it is, I didn't. I thought I didn't think that Miles Powell would be the scorer that he is, and that that would be enough. The yeah. other pieces um, have performed to that level, um, but other than that, that's about it. I mm-hmm. think the rest of it's. Mm, I think Marquette has surprised me a little bit. I didn't. I thought they would be better, but not this good. Because I, I thought they were like Creighton a lot last year. I thought they were just one of those teams who didn't have enough defensively to win enough games, and they were kind of hanging around 500 most of the year and never really had a shot to be in this way tournament team based on their body of work. Yeah. Because um, they won like they won like four out of six down the stretch. Marquette. Yeah, last I think. year. Yeah, still, something like that. And still didn't make it. And still were never in the conversation. It's because they lost. No, they lost to DePaul. That was the big thing. Yeah, you, that you shouldn't stretch. do that. That's <laughs> Especially last year's DePaul. This year's DePaul is a little bit better, but still right. not the team you want to drop games to if you're trying to make the NCAA tournament. Um, yeah, they finished 4-1 four, four and one down the stretch in the regular season, but they lost, that loss to DePaul was killer. 4-1 yeah. with two wins over Creighton. Um, but... Mm-hmm. St. John's and Georgetown probably didn't give them too much credit. It's crazy because I see a lot of similarities with Creighton this year as I do Marquette last year. Interesting. Well, yeah, especially when you look at the fact that Marquette offensively 12th in the country, defensively 182nd. Well, in terms what, of they efficiency. were even worse than Creighton last year. Then. Yeah. Okay. So they do profile what similarly. The, where, where's, where they, where their profile change to this year? What are they at defensively this year? Oh, they're top 40, I think. They're no, 40th. Wow. Yeah, offense a little bit less efficient, which makes sense. They lost Rousey, so yeah. Um, but defensively, they're better. Okay. I think that's largely because yeah, Marquette. Is, yeah, Marquette surprised me a little bit in terms of the jump they made from last year. Yeah. Especially defensively. Um, yeah, I mean they went from one eighty two to fortieth. That's in, that's an incredible jump that in is one an year. Incredible jump. Yeah. I th- and uh, let me think. Seton Hall is better than I thought they were. I thought they were picked properly at eighth because. Yeah, I, think I, I thought it was nine. Miles Powell and a bunch of guys I don't trust. Or no. Yeah, that too. Um, Creighton is... It was funny, actually, talking to Miles Powell after the game. He was like, yeah, we definitely remember that. Everyone thought we were going to be 8th, ninth, 10th in the league. It's like we're, they, yeah. go, they go to games looking at opposing coaches. This is the way you kind of phrase it. It's like we look at the opposing coaches because they're the one who voted in that preseason poll when we were ninth right, or right. what eighth in that preseason eighth, poll. Yeah. Yeah, he's like one yeah. one point above Creighton. Right. They we all these coaches picked this eighth, we know. And we go to these on the road, look at these coaches and, and we're proving ourselves. Proving that's them a, wrong. See that's a dude that's playing with an edge. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, you have to, if, you're, if, you're, if you're 14 games into the conference slate and you're still talking like that. Talking about the preseason poll. Yeah, yeah. you're playing with an edge. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a few teams that are a little out of whack, good and bad, I think. Because um, I'm, I'm really surprised how, not just how bad Providence has been, but, like, they just don't have a point guard, and that's weird because I feel like they've recruited guys who thought they would be. Yeah, uh, so with Ashton Langford and, uh, and David Duke. And David Duke, yeah. yeah that's wild. Um, yeah, I think that's it for questions. So, uh, next game is DePaul. Have you seen DePaul much this year? Honestly, no. Okay. I just know that they're rebounding really well. They are. That's the only thing I really know about DePaul. They are. They lack a little discipline defensively, especially late in games. They have some length, though. That might give Creighton some problems. For sure. And certainly, uh, again, rebounding. Yeah. That'll give Creighton some problems. I like Paul Reed, though. I kind of think, like, did he play last year? Yeah, he did. Okay. He had a good game against uh, Creighton at DePaul. Okay. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again. Yeah. I think he's really good, and I think he's, like, if you want to, like, just zero in on a ward that isn't going to mean anything for Creighton fans to hear right now, but, like, that that most improved player award or whatever that is handed out at the end of the year, like, I think Tyshawn and Paul Reed are the, like, the two players gunning for it right mm-hmm. now. Um, Paul Reed's been insane, especially in conference play. He's been, I think he's averaging, like, a double-double. So, uh, um, he's going to be a load. You know, Eli Kane and Max Struess kind of, like, you know who they are. Um, big time players. They had big time shots. I don't know. DePaul is uh, just really salty this year. They've got some dudes who can make plays. They just lack a little discipline sometimes. And they've and been vulnerable. And maybe this is because of the lack of discipline. They've been vulnerable to like big runs by opponents. Yes. Uh, maybe they've been kind of close in games, and then suddenly the opponent really hits them with a with a surge. So I feel like you don't want to let DePaul hang around because. Right. They can kind of wear you down, and if you get in if you game, get into one of those games with them, they they're it's vintage to Paul. Yeah, yeah, like you. I think that's what St. John's learned in mm-hmm. Seton Hall. Seton Hall twice. Yeah, yeah. Xavier even this last time in Cincinnati, Xavier felt like they were putting them away, and then all of a sudden, DePaul was still there. But yeah, they didn't put them away. No. They thought they might yeah. have, but they didn't. Yeah. And then yeah. Um. So that's gonna be an interesting matchup, you know, and not just for the physical, but. There's a mental aspect of it for Creighton that is obviously pretty clear right now. Yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna be like questioning themselves more than they've ever have going into this game. So it's not just a physical challenge for them. Um, so it'll be interesting to like see what they look like in practice these next two days and this whole stretch. Really, like they're not taking any days off. They're practicing. You know, they had the two days of practice before Seton Hall. Uh, they played the day. They'll practice twice. They'll practice uh, Monday, Tuesday, and then leave and go play DePaul Wednesday. They'll come back, practice Thursday, Friday, and get ready for Providence at home. Is that who their next home game is? Georgetown. Against? Georgetown. Yeah, right. So, yeah, there's not they, – they're not going to have, like, um, what, those mental health days we call them? We take days off, right? They won't have any mental health days. They kind of got to keep getting after it. So. Yeah. They're in the heart of the grind right now, which is not... That's, and that was some, that's something I wrote last week. I was like, man, Creighton could really use a bye week. Yeah. But it doesn't get one until after the, Georgetown. Until, yeah, after right? Georgetown. Because it's like February into March is when their break is, right? Their yeah. extended break. Yeah. Um, I was like, they could use... The way the schedule set, set out, they never really had a true bye week. They had a 
maybe a game Monday and then they played Friday or maybe a game. Yeah. I think Nebraska Saturday. Nebraska and Gonzaga was a week apart. Well, no, I meant in Big East. Oh, sure. Just the way the schedule is. Yeah, so the, after this next week, they get their week off okay. after Georgetown. But yeah. they uh, they haven't had. And then they get to celebrate by going to Marquette. <laughs> Damn. But you get a week to prepare. Oh, true. So that is a schedule. A week to uh, put together a game plan and try to beat, um, try to beat Marquette. But like, what so is that nine of their last, they lost nine of the last twelve games. I mean, they are four and nine in conference play. So. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> Matt, they've lost nine of the last thirteen in conference play. Yeah. No, you're good, good point. Yeah, <laughs> but that's just a lot of red. You know, like right. when Ken, whenever I see red on Kempom, like I'm, I'm just conditioned to see like red is bad, green is good. Uh huh. You know, like so whatever like. Complexion. But they've been playing two games a week since the start of the Big East season. Yeah. Uh, I guess even, um, I don't know. Yeah, they've just been playing oh. two games a week since the start of Big East season, the way the schedule. That, Holy shit, it's 9 o'clock. I guess we should go then. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's late. What time does this game tip, too? Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's a long day. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. So, what should we leave folks with? Um, well, first of all, make sure you go to White and Blue Review and Omaha.com to check out all of the post-game analysis, comments from us, quotes from them, players, coaches, etc. Um, this podcast, obviously. Um, and you can always hit us up on Twitter anytime you got a question or just want to say mean things out loud, it's fine too. Um, I saw a new topic on our message board today. It was Jack Stark should be fired. So they're starting to make their way down the list of people <laughs> responsible for this 13-13 and 13 season so far. Right. Um, poor Jack Stark. Uh, so, yeah, anything you want to tease coming up, maybe? Anything you got in the hopper or anything like that? Not really. I, I mean, just... One thing I'll tease, I interviewed Rachel Saunders last week just about, like, her energy in general, and today she had, like, a game when he blocked shots. So, like, that's the kind of synergy players and media should be working with. Like, when we interview you and are about to, like, feature you, do something really cool so we can be like, hey. Right. That goes along with the narrative. Like, right. that, you know, I feel like you've got a pretty good beat on that, too. Like, whenever you write about dudes, they usually show out. So I need you to write about every single Creighton player. Do you need, oh, wow. Maybe that's what yeah, I well, You have a busy weekend. <laughs> a busy week coming up. <laughs> I got two days to write about all these dudes. Uh, no, baseball's in full swing, so we're going to have some baseball coverage for you. Um, if you haven't read it already, John's got a great piece on the three Jays playing for the Giants, right? They do That's that. That's still rolling around. Is yep. it behind the paywall and stuff still? Or uh, that's no, important. Yeah, I think it's wide open. Wide, look at that, free. Yeah. So if you haven't read that already, you need to. Um. He's got good stuff on Will Robertson coming into the year with expectations, but Jays are 3-0. and What do they score? 22, 35 runs in three games, right? Is that right? 10, 13, 12. and 12, right? Is that, 25? 10, 13, is that 35? That is 35. Thanks. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so I think they, they've allowed some runs, but they've also scored a lot. So yeah. the offense is rolling right now. Um, so they're 3-0. and That's good. I'm trying to think what else. Uh, we need a tease. That's probably it for now. Yeah, just standard coverage. I mean, that's yeah. Enjoy the snow because there's. I think there's more of it coming too, right? Yeah. I'm tired of that. But in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for your comments. Um, 
I know from my perspective I get testy sometimes because I feel like I'm being attacked, but I'm not. Uh, but we, we, we love the passion. We love the questions. We love all the interaction. Um, speaking for John, too, right? For sure. I mean, okay. that's... That, I'm I don't here. want you to be like, I'm just like, he's like shaking his head. No, he really does appreciate it. So. No, no doubt. Like, I love interacting with fans is a reason, one of the reasons why I do what I do to be accessible and to have conversations with people and to hear what you guys are thinking and to answer the questions that you want asked or to ask the questions that you want asked. Yeah, because sometimes, like, you give us perspective. Like, when, we're think- when we think we've got, like, a good grasp on things, then, like, maybe something that gets suggested or a question that gets asked makes us like dive into a certain area we may be having experimented with and then it opens us up to just our ability to analyze the whole picture so yeah yeah, we appreciate it so keep it up thank you very much well and I always I like I've always approached it as my position is sort of I am the window into the program for fans like I show you guys what's going on and, and why things transpired the way they did and so I mean, if you have a criticism of how I'm going about it, I do like to hear that because maybe I can adjust how I'm presenting the information or what information I'm trying to seek. So as long as those critiques are constructive and not just like a a blind rant Mm -hmm. or just yelling. uh, Well, we appreciate the yelling too because we know where it comes from. That's true, actually. You know what? I, I, I agree with that. But there's never a question you guys have asked that we haven't maybe asked in a way that doesn't get us punched in the face. Um, but yeah, we like our access is your access. We are we are your window to it all. So um, keep up the interaction. We love it. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Um, you know where to go to check out the work, and we will talk to you again. Not after DePaul. When's the next one? After Georgetown. Yes. So next weekend after Georgetown. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a good week.